Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. We had a lot of pride in that clubhouse. I know years passed and, you know, we've gotten off a bad start, you know, in 2019, uh, 2020, different story. 2021, you know, kind of got off, but we had a pretty good run. Um, but, I mean, it's contagious right now. We're playing good baseball. I mean, yesterday we got punched in the mouth. Today we kind of got punched in the mouth with Nola, but we know, you know, Nola is Nola. So it was just a matter of time getting in that bullpen and trying to, you know, string some at bats. So I think it was just a big, huge, you know, I don't know, not a monkey or anything like that, but because we know we're, you know, I don't know. We, we believe in each other, but at the same time, to actually like do it, you know, it's it's overwhelming a little bit. You know, it's it's pretty cool. How much does that belief enhance after the game at St. Louis and now something like this? I mean, it's contagious, man. I mean, it, it builds off of our confidence. You know, it just keeps going up and up. And you know, seven one. I mean, any team could have quit and you know just fell over. But you know what? I mean, even if we went down seven one, we were still going to do hard nineties. We were still do you know professional at bats. Because at the end of the day, you know, you got to carry over your bats. You got to carry over that effort to the next day, um, you know, and just not lie down. And so I think that's what we did. And, you know, we took great, great pride in, you know, just passing the baton. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, May the 8th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the Talking Mets Podcast.com. Send me a tweet 
at Mike Silver Media. Add to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks over at the Fan Sided Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, happy Mother's Day to those in the audience. Certainly a good Mother's Day for the Mets. Well, they took two. You know, they didn't take two. They split a doubleheader after, I mean, what miserable, miserable baseball weather. Have we not had maybe the worst baseball weather in the Northeast since the season started? I really thought watching some of the game today, it was Candlestick Park. I thought I was back in the 80s, and I was watching the Mets and the Giants, maybe the 70s, with the, the hot dog wrappers flying around. Maybe it was like October 8th at the end of a, you know, a season. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to get into the whole weather debate and global warming and all that. I'll let you guys play around with that. I There's nothing I'm going to say that you're going to like. But here's how I'm going to start. You heard J.D. Davis. I'll get to that in a minute. We got a lot to talk about. We got uh, the Mets against the NL East and the NL East elite NL East teams. That's the theme of the show. Robbie Cano. We didn't have a show about that, but Robbie Cano, no more. And Eric Chavez and some of the Mets, as well as a lot of the pundits, are saying the baseball's not traveling and MLB has something to do with it. And I ran a little fun with numbers. back. We do back of the paper bag math here at the Talking Mets podcast. So we've got a lot to talk about. Let's get right to it. But I will start with this. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Totally honest. I never lie to you guys. Was it Jimmy Cotter? Was it Jimmy Cotter that said, I never lie to you? Was that the old, you know, to invoke some political history? You guys in the audience that are smarter than me can let me know. I'm never going to lie to you. Um, but anyway, I did not see a second of the great comeback on Thursday night. Not a second live. I, well, let me get to this. Not a great day on Thursday. I don't like to share too much personal stuff on the show because you don't care. But this kind of all ties in. Not a great day. Very busy day. Driving home, Long Island Expressway, Center Lane, Exit 26, Francis Lewis Boulevard. Boom. I get rear-ended. And that's not fun. So stupid me gets out in the center lane as he slows down because the guy stopped behind me. Here I am, everybody playing front. Now, thankfully, that was pretty stupid what I did. It could have been the end of the Talking Mets podcast as we know it. And the guy stopped about probably 20 yards, 15 yards away. I look at him, point to the side. Let's get over to the side. I have some damage to my rear. He takes off on me. I mean, and, and said a few things as he took off. Not, not very nice. Things that are not suitable for work, not suitable for the Talking Mets podcast. Fortunately, I was able to drive home. Look, it's a fender bender. You don't care. The bumper, the back, I got to go get it fixed, the whole nine yards. So I'm already in a bad mood. As I'm driving home is the beginning of that really bad early, uh, what was it, first inning, second inning, 3 nothing, 4 nothing. Now I get home, trying to figure things out, Geico pictures on the stupid app. You know, you can't get anybody on the phone anymore in this world. Geico did a great job, by the way, I have to say, and they don't pay a dime. I think we have another, is it Progressive that sponsors the show? So I'm, I'm probably violating my own program here by telling you Geico does a great job, but I think I've seen progressive commercials. By the way, I don't control the commercials. When I put the thing up, the fan-sided podcasting network, they control all of it. So if you ever get mad about a sponsor, you could call me. Uh, believe me, I have nothing to do with it. I have no control. I say, bink, bink, bink. This is where it goes. Here, 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 here. And then they take over from there. So anyway, Geico does a great job. 
I'm more focused on figuring out how I'm going to get my car fixed. Is my car still drivable? How much damage? I've never, I mean, I've had windshield damage. I've never had an accident uh, of a hit and run. I've never done it. I actually, it's the first time I've actually had an auto claim. And I've been driving since I was 18. So I've had some pretty good luck. I've had a couple accidents, but they were rentals and whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, nothing like this before. So I'm a total novice, 45 years old, total novice. So here I am focused on me, my car, getting my car fixed. And I say about, uh, you know, after I'm finally settling in and it's the days finally come down, I go, I, I turn on the iPad cause I want, I did see it when it was seven, when I was wanted to see Medina cause I'm really interested in Medina and how he's, cause he used to be a top five Phillies prospect. I wanted to see a little of him. But I got distracted. Got to take the dogs out. Got to get ready for the next day. There's so much going on. And at 7-1, I'm like, this is just not a game that's happening. This is not a night where baseball is going to be a focus. So I go after a nice shower. You know, you get yourself relaxed. Get ready for bed. Let me see what Medina wound up doing. Let me see. Just quickly go through the box score. Maybe look at Walker's highlights. See the error. Because now I'm going to try to recreate the game and you know you're ready to move on you know you figure the Mets weren't going to play because I looked at the weather it's all right you got a couple of days to regroup from a real thrashing back-to-back bad losses and I look and I see eight seven and the game's over and I'm like wait wait something's wrong like I've never had that reaction and then I see the Diaz dominance and I'm like whoa now it was literally the game had just ended and I mean I look to the left I see the nine you know because on MLB.com on your iPad you'll have the prior game and I look to the right, I'm like, no, there's something wrong here. And the seven run ninth, and right away, I went to recreate it. I'm watching the post game, and I'm saying to myself, I cannot go on the air on Sunday. And that game actually probably, in and of itself, deserved the show. I cannot go on the air and not and be a, and be a fraud, be a phony. There's so many phonies in this business, from the podcasting blog world all the way to the professionals. I mean, there's probably. It's like a kettle of fish. You, there's more phonies than there's real people. That's the truth. So, total transparency. But you heard J.D. Davis coming in. And you all know what I call this, the first 50 games, the getting to know you phase. And if you didn't get to know this team after St. Louis, and if you didn't get to know this team after the comeback against the Phillies, and if you still don't understand what this team is about, listen to that clip. Because before I get to the NL East and how I feel the Mets, even though they haven't played all the NL East teams, I mean, they're not going to play Miami until the end of June. And there's so much things going on in Miami down there, down south. Listen to what J.D. Davis said in that clip coming in. There is nothing sexy about this New York Mets team. Nothing. I don't think they're going to have any kind of all-time records. I don't think they're going to have... Uh, maybe even league leaders and stuff. You know, maybe Scherzer, uh, maybe Pete leads the league in home runs or RBIs. I think there's not a sex appeal to the numbers. To the ba- You can't say to the back of the baseball card anymore. Nobody collects baseball cards, I don't think. The baseball reference page or the fan graphs page. You pick the, ba- the front of the computer, the front of the baseball reference page. I don't care. But what you, you you look up and they're they're I think they're second to Milwaukee and runs uh, scored, and if it wasn't for the Dodgers who are insanely good on the pitching side, they've only given up fifty nine runs. And I'm coming to you Sunday night. They got a game tonight against Chicago, I believe. Fifty nine runs. The Mets would be one of the better pitching teams in the league. I mean, think about it. The Dodgers, as good as the Mets have been, the Dodgers have been forty percent better. 
there's nothing sexy about this team, but if you listen to J.D. Davis, it's about the at-bat, it's about the execution, it's about the little things. You listen to Chris Bassett after the game today. Look, we got five really good starters. We're going to be in every game. Total confidence. And that includes guys like McGill and sometimes David Peterson who are uh, taking starts and doubleheaders and maybe being that sixth, sixth guy that shuttles back and forth. And that doesn't even include DeGrom, who arguably is the best pitcher in baseball. It's a lot of little things. It's working counts. It's not giving up on at-bats. It's executing pitches. It's um, knowing the rules. It's moving the line. You heard J.D. say move the line. Mets have a six-game lead in the NL East. And I have to tell you, I I hate Mets fans do this all the time, and it drives me crazy. But I'll tell you what, it feels a little like 2006 right now, that early 2006, and if you all remember, and I don't think everybody's, I mean, if you're 13 years old, you don't. If you're 10 years old listening, you don't. I don't know how many young people are listening to this, but they could be. I hope they are. I want a whole new generation of fans to listen to the Talking Mets podcast, but if you remember that season... It, they built up that lead early. Then they had that 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 little lull where they were kind of regression to the mean. And then they had that crazy nine and one road trip. And then they I mean, they were sixteen games up at one point. I think by the All Star break. I mean, and and what was funny about that team is that Atlanta had won so much they were still the fear that the Mets would collapse. That's the whole Mets fan paranoia. I mean, blowing a sixteen game lead at the All Star break. It, look, anything could happen. What was it? The Giants, Dodgers, uh, Ralph Brank. It was a 13-game lead in August. 69 Mets. Look, anything could happen. We know. But it's hard. It's real hard. Just like coming back from 7-1 in the ninth inning is real hard. But it does happen. So there's a little of that going on. There's a little of that. But it's not sexy. You have to be a Mets fan to enjoy this. Because I don't think when you go and I look at them on baseball reference, and I'll go by like the eye test. I... When I saw that they were second by like two runs to the Brewers in runs scored, I was surprised because I'm like, I don't feel like they're hitting. Like I go up and down the lineup right now. Everybody is well above league average OPS plus except for McCann. And, you know, even guys like JD and Guillerme coming off the bench, Travis Jankowski. It's crazy. I mean, and other than Taiwan Walker, who he's going to have to find his stride because he obviously had an injury late in the winter and then truncated spring training. The, the, the starters have been outstanding. The bullpen, as shaky as it's been, still has done a pretty good job. I mean, they've had a, they had that one meltdown against the Phillies, and obviously things got dicey against Arizona. But and they're going to need help out there. But they're they got some look. Drew Smith, and you never would have expected this. Now it may out may out. Drew Smith. Jason Shreve slash Joel Rodriguez, Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo. Even though I kind of feel Lugo's not himself, you could figure this thing out as you, you know, go forward. So maybe that's the part of this team as we get to know them that has to improve. But right now you got to feel pretty good. And the one thing you got to feel good, it's a very business-like team. That's how 06 was, except in 06 you had some gaudy offensive numbers with guys like Beltron and Delgado and a young Wright and a young Reyes. But maybe from a bullpen side, I mean, no one knew who Dwaner Sanchez was and Chad Bradford and Pedro Feliciano and everybody knew Billy Wagner. Aaron Heilman was still relatively unknown. Like, everybody kind of just did their thing. 
And if you remember, the, the post-game song after each win at Chase Stadium was taking care of business. And I feel this team is very similar. They're a taking care of business team. Now, the theme of the show is how do the Mets stand up versus the NL East? We just saw 10 games. The Mets won six of them against what everybody predicted was going to be the two teams that they were going to compete with for the for the division. And everybody got really excited about the Phillies late in sp- after the lockout because they signed Castellanos and, and, and Schwaber. And here's what I will say. I think what you saw over the last 10 days, and I, and I haven't seen Miami. Miami's got some young pitching, a couple interesting relievers. They don't have a ton of offense, but they have some interesting offensive players now, young offensive players. They're not a pushover team. I wouldn't be surprised if Miami and Philly, for different reasons, kind of like neck and neck for that third team. And other than Washington, who you'll see again, who has some players that, let's face it, I, I kept telling you, you got Juan Soto, you got Josh Bell. Uh, you know, I'm going, we haven't seen them since the first week of the season, but, you know, this Yadiel Hernandez is is is, is hitting uh, 370. Josh Bell's hitting 350. I mean, he was a good hitter with uh, the Pirates. I mean, Soto it hasn't been Soto. He's still got a 164 OPS plus. He's got six home runs, seven RBIs. Tells you no one's on base. Nelson Cruz hasn't got going yet. Uh, you know, you look at the rotation, you still have Patrick Corbin, who I think, and and uh, Josiah Gray, and, and you look at the bullpen, you know, it's not great, but they still are a team that has, that if you're in a close game with Washington, I don't think they're the Cincinnati Reds right now who are on pace to be the 62 Mets. So what you saw over the first 10 days, of the, uh, the last 10 days of the season is that, there's a lot of little things a team's going to have to do to beat the Braves. There's a lot of little things you got to do to beat the Phillies because you keep, you're in a close game with the Phillies, Harper, Real Muto, Castellanos, Bohm, go on and on. They're good hitters. And that whole lineup knows how to work counts. And they did it to Scherzer. Look at Scherzer, how much trouble he's had with him. And he's seen him like three times already. Atlanta, you could say, well, they're off to a slow start. They, they were last year. Now, as much as Olsen is a really good player, I still think Freddie Freeman's better, and I think that's going to be down the stretch a big difference because you tell me, the old proverbial Mad Dog Russo, gun to your head. Are you allowed to? Well, I don't know. Are we allowed to say that now? Because that might be gun to your head. That might be. I'm not promoting gun violence, but Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman up in a big spot, whether it be the closer Diaz, uh, Joely Rodriguez, or Chase and Shreve, lefty, lefty, on lefty, whatever, Seth Lugo, whatever. I'm going to take Freddie Freeman 10 out of 10 times. And you look at the lineup, Dansby Swanson's not really hitting yet. Uh, Riley's going to probably become the next Freeman with the way he hits against the Mets. And Travis Darno, it's like the revenge of Travis Darno, who is an awesome guy. I've told you this guy's the story. I'm not going to repeat it. Had a chance to meet him early in his career when they used to let independent media into the into the club, you know, to, to do interviews. And not the most interesting, engaging guy, but a nice, nice guy. Um, not a big Adam Duvall fan, and Marcelo Zuna, uh, you know, I think is a little overrated. But, you know, you look up and down. They've got a guy, Charlie Morton, who I really love to anchor that rotation, who's off to a, a rough start. Max Fried has always been a tough pitcher. Uh, Kyle Wright is kind of having a coming-out party. Uh, Ian Anderson's tough. they got young arms, uh, and they may have another young arm coming later in the year with one of their young pitchers. Um 
bullpen is really good. So I don't think the Braves are going anywhere, and I think the Braves are going to start to shrink that six-game deficit. So I don't think it's going to be like 2006 where the Mets run away from this thing unless something crazy happens with Atlanta or the championship hangover completely engulfs them, or maybe the Freddie Freeman absence is bigger than we think. I think it's going to be what you saw the last 10 days. The Mets are going to have to do a lot of small things to win these games. They're going to have to execute out of their bullpen. They're going to have to play really good defense. They're going to have to move runners over. They're going to have to hit with two outs and runners in scoring position. They're going to have to grind out at-bats because like J.D. said in that clip, the at-bats you grind out and the way you move the line today, even in a loss, carries over to tomorrow. You want, you want to become a team that constantly comes at you. One of the things that, and, 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 and you bring the Yankee lineage into it because you have all this Yankee connections on this, in this front office and the dugout, is those late 90s Yankees, they always grinded you. Even when they were playing bad, even when they lost, it was grind, grind, grind. There was never, from 19, just take the Subway Series from 1997 to 2001, was there ever a Subway Series game, even when the Mets were far ahead, the few times in those games where they were far ahead, three, four runs? Did you ever feel comfortable, at Yan- especially at Yankee Stadium? Did you ever feel comfortable? No, because grind it out, grind it out, grind it out. So to me, that's where you're at with this team. And I'll tell you, and I'll get to him in a little bit, because i got to talk a little about this Cano stuff. If Diaz is figuring it out, if he's pitching backwards now with his slider, and that's causing, and now the legal have to adjust, but the elite, Lockdown innings we've seen out of Diaz, especially in some of these big games, especially after you have that big 7-1 comeback, and he comes in, he blows that game. Something that you saw in 2019 and maybe even last year. It really takes all that goodwill and momentum away and throws it in the trash, and he didn't. Now, offensively, I think there's one thing we all have to be honest about. If the Mets are going to continue to be at the top of the division, uh, the league and run scored... They're going to need, Cano's gone. There's no more debate here. Cano's gone. He's at, He's thrown off the island. Dom and J.D. Davis have to hit. And now is the time for Dom Smith. I keep hearing about him. I, I was all for that trade with San Diego. Hosmer's off to a good start. Paddock and Pagan are doing okay, I think, out in Minnesota. That was a good trade. The whole complexion, I don't think Joely Rodriguez is with the Mets if that trade happens. Who knows? But it's Dom time. I know we had the big game on Sunday Night Baseball last week. We haven't spoken since the no-hitters, so there's a lot that's happened. I don't want any more excuses. And perhaps, perhaps J.D.'s the guy that's going to need, can these guys play intermittently? Because you know Dom is not going to play against lefties. And the thing is, J.D.'s going to get his at-bat squeeze because when Dom plays first base, he's going to sit because Pete Alonso's going to D.H., so these guys are going to have to probably together figure out three, about 250, 300 at-bats each. Together, can they do you know 15 to 20 home runs, hit about 270, 275, maybe drive in 75 runs, something like that, something that you would have thought Cano could do by himself? The excuses are over. I don't want to hear it anymore. And yes, I know what some people are going to say. Well, neither one of these guys are going to play every day, so how could you expect them to perform? They have to. That's their role on a very good team. And they need them. Because Pete's not going to be mashing all the time. McNeil, 
coming in hot as a pistol. Didn't have a great uh, uh, doubleheader, but he's going to cool down. Escobar really hasn't got going yet. He, I think a lot of his success has been uh, working counts and walking at a rate we've never seen before. You know, even Cannon, not a sexy player, just does a lot of little things. Starling Marte's finally starting to get going in the double uh, uh, in that big ninth inning, and I think he will. Um, so that's really where you're at. You know about the starting rotation, and you don't even have the be- maybe the best of all of them hasn't even come back yet. Exactly what we talked about. They cannot focus on Degrom, and they haven't. The bullpen's going to need help, but if you can get that A team, Drew Smith, Seth Lugo, Edwin Diaz. And then I think Chase and Shreve should be in high-leverage situations just like today over Rodriguez. Whole different conversation. I'm not going to get into the whole bullpen thing today. And keep an eye on this Adonis Medina because he was a top-five Phillies prospect. I'm really curious if he could sneak his way into the mix here. The Mets have to... Yes, there's already talk of them. Can they go out? Can they get an arm from somebody else? And I think they're going to have to at the deadline, which is now August 2nd this year. Um... But sometimes the best arms are the ones that are in your system. They had this Holderman guy in spring training. Medina gets caught. I mean, if he was on waivers from Philadelphia, how good could he be? They probably know something. They could sure, even though they're not as bad in the bullpen, I think they got Alvarado and some guys coming out of that pen that aren't as bad as everyone thinks. But if they really, I mean, that's a team that needed bullpen help. Why would they let him go? But you never know. Look at Garrett Whitlock and the Yankees. You never know. So that's where you're at. What you saw the last 10 days, so buckle up. Mets are a good team. Mets got a lot of good stuff going on. But the Braves are a good team. The Phillies are by no... And Buck keeps talking about it. They're not a pushover. And we haven't even seen Miami yet, who can be a, as pesky as the Phillies, but in a different way, because instead of being an offensive annoying team, they're a pitching annoying team. And they're pesky and they're young. And they got a lot of guys probably trying to prove themselves, trying to get themselves established in this game. And that's a dangerous team. Uh, you know, I think you got basically... Four teams, two teams that are probably low 80s win teams in the Phillies and the, and, the, and, the, and the Marlins. And you got the Mets and Braves at the top. And, you know, music to my ears reading how Joel Sherman said the Mets are this team that's playing for one of the top two spots to get a bye. I think you got to look at the big picture. You got to take it day by day. Make sure you keep your older players healthy. Didn't realize the Mets were the oldest team in the league until recently when I saw that stat come up. And away you go. So you should feel really, really good where they're at. Chance to take a deep breath. Take a blow. Day off tomorrow. Now they got to go to Washington. Then they come home from Seattle and our friend Jared Kelnick. And then our good friends from St. Louis come back. That'll be an interesting series. So uh, look at the Mets' schedule, May to June. It's really not easy. They got West Coast trips. They got to go to Colorado. I think they have an LA-LA trip in early June with Anaheim and the Dodgers. And the Dodgers are playing outstanding. That'll be a true test. But I think we're really... I mean, yes, we're only two-thirds of the way with the getting-to-know-you phase. I think we have a really good feel of who this Mets team is. And I think they're a very business-like, professional, grinded-out, maybe not a sexy team, but a, but if you're a fan of the Mets, they're a fun team. Because sometimes, you know, it's good to have big numbers and dance and have all this flair. But if you don't win, it's, 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 it's like a snapshot in time. You have a good day and then two bad days, which is kind of what you saw last year towards the end of the year. But now you have a team that every day, and with supreme confidence, I mean, listen to Bassett after the game today. Supreme confidence. Very much type A business-like personalities on this team. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm not going to get to Cano yet. I'm going to wrap up the show with Cano. The ball's not traveling. We saw it today. Philly's a little bit with Segura. JD hits a ball. Eric Chavez came out. I think it was Tim Healy and Newsday talked about it. 
and said that they have all these conspiracy theories about Sunday night baseball. They're talking about the launch angle and, you know, balls that are usually 105 miles an hour into the third or fourth seat right over the fence. Now we're dying at the fence. I have noticed the balls are not traveling. I think it's too soon to panic. We've been playing in football weather now all of April. Here it is, May 8th. I still feel, actually, today felt like April. So I don't know. Maybe it has to do with the weather. Let's take a quick break. When I come back, we'll talk about the balls and their traveling or lack thereof and some of my thoughts about that right after this. Hey, I'm Nicole Briscoe with Jessica Mendoza and Jeff Passan. Okay, so we're about a month into the baseball season, guys, and I think I've said humidor more than I have at any other point <laughs> in my life. But also, runs are down, and so are home runs. So what is up with the ball? Runs are down because home runs are down. Everything else in baseball is just about the same. But when home runs go down... The first question after all these years of juiced balls, of different balls being used in 2021, what's happening with the baseball? And in 2021, they were supposed to have a new ball in place that reduced the distance that a ball went by about two feet, Major League Baseball said. That's the ball that's in play this year. And if you ask players what's happened this year, they feel like it's a lot more than two feet that the ball has been reduced by. Oh, yeah. We're adding in the humidor now in every single stadium. I was with the Dodgers all week in Arizona, which is like, get me to Arizona. Call it. You know the places where you can hit. And this was the conversation all week long. We were seeing balls hit 105 miles an hour exit velocity, that beautiful 28 launch degree angle that you want for those big home runs. And then literally, like, not even to the warning track. Over and over again is what we were seeing. And so on the bus, this is all that the guys were talking about. And the hope is that the humidor is actually going to have the opposite effect potentially in the summer. That if it's killing yes. the ball right now even more than the different specs on the ball have, that in the summer when the humidity is higher, the humidor is going to be a little mm -hmm. bit lower and the ball's going to travel a little bit farther. Right. Uh, you know. Can we just, like, no humidor out the gate? Because hitters That's are already going to be struggling. Right. It's already, you're getting, like, these balls that are not ready to fly early in the season because it's cold. Can we just have a couple months it's of a lot of home runs? It's just another reason to look forward to summer, right? <laughs> yes. All right, we're back. You just heard from all the pundits over at ESPN about the ball not traveling. You know, everything in society, whether it be sports or real world, is a crisis. It's a crisis. Everything's a crisis. And sometimes what I think we are today as a society, especially at sports, especially with baseball, is it's almost like a builder who wants to be perfectionist. And they build something, they look at it, and it's it's great. It's there's you know, it's really, really a great building. But you're like, hey, let me tweak it here, tweak it there. And all the critics are saying, well, you could have done this. So you tweak, you tweak, you tweak, you tweak, you tweak, and then you knock the whole damn thing down and you got to start over and you destroy it. And I feel like, we're, we're angling towards that in baseball. Now, you know me. I'm not this ghost runner thing I'm like on the fence with, but I do admit it creates some excitement and extra innings. I was always for the DH. Uh, the shifts are goofy sometimes, what goes on, but it doesn't really bother me because it's strategy. And maybe I'm biased because the Mets have really done well with it the last couple of years. And I think at some point, you, you start, how do you legislate the shift? What are you going to start putting lines on the field, like football with markers and stuff? I think it's ridiculous. 
So I, I really think the, the, the baseball, and I've said it a thousand times, is not at the point where other sports have been where rules changes were necessary, like the NBA, like the NHL, like the NFL. Now, I think a lot of, I think the NBA and the NHL were at serious points where scoring was difficult because of the rules and the athleticism and how good the players were were preventing anything organically from happening. I think NF- the NFL was more interested in fantasy sports and growing their product by increasing the offense. Uh, I'm not an NFL guy. Maybe that's a deeper conversation. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I feel baseball is in a similar spot where you can't turn it into arena baseball. That's not what this game is about. It's just not. Historically, it's not. And if that's where this game is going, this goes back to the whole thing I say all the time, that baseball has an identity crisis, where in order to capture what they think is a new audience, they're going to alienate their entire base for an incremental group of people, small group of people, that will not be the foundation of the future of the game. Now, you don't want the game to be ugly, and I still say the game is ugly, or the game is problematic, because... Too many teams are not competing, and too many teams are putting out players in a 30-team league that are probably not big league players, and they don't care because they don't want to lose money, and they're probably making money by you know not winning a lot of these owners. They're keeping their costs down where the revenues are here and there, and we've talked about that a billion times. And back in the day, not too long ago, everybody was at least trying to win for at least a large portion of the season. Maybe not August and September, but they were trying to be as good as they could to put the best product out there. And I think that's the problem. And then you say, well, Mike, you just said it. The ball's not traveling. Yeah, I know the ball's not traveling. Pete Alonso hits the ball the heck out of the ball and it travels. But a J.D. Davis ball dies. Maybe a Brandon Nimmo ball dies. A Jeff McNeil ball dies. Whatever. I'm just throwing names out here now. And if you go back when, you know, I grew up watching a game, and some of you were watching a game way before me, not everybody hit 25 home runs. That's not the game. Look at the 80s Mets. You had a couple of power hitters. You had Cotter before he started to decline. You had Strawberry. You had McReynolds. Hernandez was not your typical power hitter, about 10, 12 home runs. Second base, Tuffle had a little power, but Backman none. Santana, forget about it. Ray Knight was a 10 home run guy. You know, Kevin Mitchell became a power hitter later on. Mookie Wilson, not a power hitter. And before, you know, Lenny Dykstra, before he, and that's why he got it traded, he wasn't a power hitter either. He was an on-base, average, defensive player. You had your four or five, maybe your sixth hitter with your power, Hojo, I shouldn't forget Hojo because Hojo was the power. You had those three guys in the middle of the lineup. And not every team had three power guys because the Mets were pretty good. The A's had a couple power guys. But look at the Dodgers team that beat them in 88. You had Kirk Gibson and, and Mike Marshall wasn't really, you know, maybe he was a 15, 20 home run guy. That was it. The game was played on speed and hits and getting on base and pitching and defense, and nobody complained. Now, you could say, well, look at the average runs per game in 2022. There's, a, there's an outcry. Oh, my God, everybody's James McCann in the whole league. Well, the American League is really at 3.90 runs per game is down, and I think there's a lot of tanking teams in the American League. The National League is at 4.25 runs per game. This is going into today's action. So what, what did I do? I said, how bad is it? Let me start to bring up different seasons and look at the average. Mainly in the National League, I threw a few American League in there just for co- comparison to the DH because now we've got DH in both leagues, so you can't even really see. 
And it's funny, I thought there'd be a half a run jump. <laughs> the American League with the DH is doing worse than the National League with the DH. But anyway, in 1968, 3.48 runs per game. That's when they decided enough is enough. We have to, uh, you know, we have to lower the mound. And then the next year, it jumps up a half a run, 4.05, 1969. Miracle Mets. Everybody loves that season. Great games in the World Series. I don't hear anybody complaining about the, the quality of baseball from 1969. Want to fast forward? Let's fast forward 17 years later, 1986. Everybody loves the 86 Mets. 86 Mets almost average five runs per game. You all remember those great uh, games against the Astros, against the Red Sox in the World Series, that magical season. The National League averaged 4.18 runs per game, less than what they're doing now. The American League, a half a run better at 4.61. They didn't average five runs a game in the American League. Oh, well, let's move to the 90s when offense started to explode. Strike season. NL was 4.6. Four-tenths of a run more. The American League, 5.23. You had some powerful offenses in there. You had the Cleveland Indians in there. Ken Griffey and the Mariners, the Yankees, and so on. So you're starting to see the runs go up. Well, now you get into the hardest steroid era in 1999. National League average is five runs a game. American League slightly more, 5.18. So now you're average, the average is five runs per game. Now you're at that point. Now you're at where everybody complains, McGuire, Sosa, this or that, oh, how horrible the times were. But now that's what you want. Let's fast forward past the Mitchell report. The year after, 2008. All of a sudden, the NL's down to four and a half, half a run down. The AL's at 4.78. Don't remember anybody complaining. 2015, you all know, Mets go to the World Series against the Royals. Competitive World Series. Everybody loved that season down the stretch. The National League averaged 4.11 runs per game, less than what they're averaging now. The American League, 4.39. And then last year, the NL was at 4.46, the AL at 4.60. So, you know, I guess my point is, maybe we should just sit back and let this thing play out. Everybody's ready to fix the sport. And and I hear what Eric Chavez is saying, where they, they have that conspiracy theory about Sunday Night Baseball and the balls being juiced. And would I put it past Rob Bedford and the powers that be in this silly game to have Sunday Night Baseball baseballs? and baseballs for this occasion, and baseballs for that occasion, and weekend baseballs, and weekday baseballs, no doubt. Is it because the supply chain and supplies being available? No idea. Not wouldn't be surprised. Everything in this world is topsy-turvy after the last couple of years. I heard some people talking about how in the past, umpires would rub up the baseballs. It would be consistent, and each umpire kind of wanted to have the consistency with the Mississippi mud. Now they have clubhouse guys or other people rubbing up the baseballs. So, you know, no sticky stuff, which should help the hitters. But, I mean, you could go on and on and on. They're messing with the shift. Then you got the humidor, which I have no idea what they're doing. They probably have some, you know, weather guy, some poindexter that's going in looking at coefficients. And now they got that going on with the humidor. You're messing with the game. Rub up the baseball. Use the proper baseball. Compete and build teams. And guess what? you'll have some good baseball. Because for 150 years, it's always happened. That's a lot of data. We didn't just discover baseball. There's a lot of cool stuff that's come from analytics and modern information and computers. And guess what? I think it's the biggest thing is that because of TrackMan and heat maps 
and Rapsodo and all these other things that pitchers able to go into their personal labs and really study video to a level they've never been able to before. I think that that has that's benefited the pitchers more than the hitters. And I've heard conversations about that. And I'd have to talk to people in the game more to really come up with that. I mean, the the spin rates, the grip. I mean, sometimes it's like wiffle ball up there. It's like a guy with a wiffle ball that could do whatever the heck he wants. But the tanking and the endless rebuilds, that has as much to do with it. So, you know, if baseball's messing around, shame on them because there's no need to. I think we all just got to sit back, let the weather get warmer. I mean, half the country has had awful weather now for five weeks. I mean, it has, and yeah, you've had a couple of 70 degree days now. It's supposed to be really nice this weekend. When the Mariners come to City Field, we'll see. I looked at the weather. It's starting to pop into the 70s. I mean, how many of you still have the heat on? It's May 8th. Have you gone in your pool yet? Have you opened your pool yet? I mean, you're all in the Northeast. Boston, New York, Washington, Philly. Atlanta came to City Field. I mean, the Mets went out to Arizona. You know, the games were pretty, you know, the offense seemed, I mean, the balls didn't jump off like they normally do in Arizona, but they had the, the, the maybe because they had the, the roof open, it's the desert. I, I don't know. Let the game evolve and let the players dictate how it evolves. You know, the Mets have this low contact rate, bottom five. But they're averaging four and a half runs a game, and they're second in the league with uh, runs to Milwaukee, I believe, going into today's game. And look, Joel Sherman, and we'll talk about that as we get to the Cano stuff, Losing that year of development, losing that full year in 2020, that goofy, stupid year that will go down as the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest season in history, a dumbest time in this country's history for a variety of reasons, plays a lot into it. Nothing you could do. It wasn't the players' fault. It wasn't the league's fault. Nothing they could do. Everybody was trying to figure it out. Minor league players probably the most impacted, and Joel Sherman wrote about that with regards to Kelnick. I think that does play into it, but I think that maybe Kelnick's not as good as everybody thought. So here's my message. Let's just watch the games. Let's stop trying to fix the game. I, I've had this conversation before. It's not the first time you've heard it. And I heard I read the Chavez article at Newsday with Healy. I know what the Mets players are saying. You know, I, I think that if the if the balls are depressed, if the humidor and the balls have done what they're intended to, which is to bring the game back to the 80s or 90s or pre-steroids, well, then teams have to start building their teams differently. You have to start having speed and defense. You have to have more contact guys. They're out there. They're out there. Maybe they're out there. Maybe they're not six foot five. Maybe they're five foot eight. And maybe you need to start drafting guys differently. Look at this guy, Roman Quinn, in center field for the Phillies. I mean, maybe he's not a big league starter, but I'll tell you what, you have a nice lineup around him. I'd start him in center field. He caught everything. I'm not saying you have to be the 80s Cardinals. That was an anomaly. But let the game evolve. Pete Alonso's of the world are going to hit home runs. But maybe Jeff McNeil shouldn't be hitting 20 home runs. You ever think of that? Maybe it's not who his, what his game is. I'm not picking on McNeil. I'm just saying. Maybe Eduardo Escobar is a 15-home run guy, not a 30-home run guy. You know, it's not golf. You don't need this titleless ball that goes flying. So that's my two cents on that. I'll leave it at that. And we'll be watching 
And you guys all read the article about Eric Chavez, hitting coach for the Mets, and all the conspiracy theories, and we'll be watching. And it'll be a theme all year. The media is going to, they're intent on changing the rules and on destroying this game because it'll give them something. They can't leave things alone. And part of that is all the contact, uh, uh, excuse me, all the content, not contact, all the content that needs to be filled. So anyway, let's take a quick break. Final segment when I come back. Robbie Cano, no more. You know my opinion and feelings on that. It was the right move. The Mets made the right move. Um, But I have a lot to say about that, and I have a lot to say about that deal. And I'll tell you what, Edwin Diaz is going to make that deal look good if he continues on the track he's on. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. And when you look at it from a baseball perspective, a lot of times it becomes obvious. And I think that it was obvious from the baseball side. It's the lowest batting average we've seen out of Cano in his career. I know it's only a short sample, but the highest strikeout uh, uh, levels. He doesn't have any versatility whatsoever to play other positions besides second base and DH. I don't like him over at first. So so you look at those multitude of of reasons, and you come up with it, and you go, yeah, that's the right move, but we need – ownership approval and they got it and I think that's the big thing if you look around the game there are very few owners in the game that would have done that and the Mets did it so I think that's the right move it ends up being the right move baseball wise and they did it business wise too yeah I really didn't think they'd do it this early I thought they'd give more time Buck was talking about that but I think Buck was just saying what he had to say at the time and look if Buck wanted him he'd still be here and I think the way this team is is playing and built you know with the aggressive base running the roster the roster flexibility and the way uh they're, they're you know the situational hitting all these things he doesn't fit in you know Buck was making the point before all this happened that he was rusty but he played all winter in the, in the uh, Caribbean so I, I think I think he probably is just at the end of his rope. He's been a guy that's played a long time. And, you know, there's this issue about that he's a great leader in the clubhouse. I'm not, I really don't think that's a big deal. I think this is a veteran team. I don't think this team needs a lot of leadership. It's, it's clear that they've cleaned up a lot of stuff that was going on last year. I think that has a lot to do with Showalter and some of these veteran guys they brought in. So I really don't think that's going to be an issue as far as Cano's influence. And, look, some of this is just guys are going to say nice things about the guy because, he's you know, he's been a great player. We're back. So Robbie Cano, no more. And I know I was having this debate and I'm not going to get into it where I suggested give him more time and send Dom Smith down or, you know, even J.D. Davis, maybe do something, uh, you know, with the pitchers. And I know that with pitching being what it is and pitching depth, it was way too risky to send Trevor Williams through waivers. You would have lost him. He wouldn't have went down. He would have been picked up. And I see Sean Reed Foley. Basically, they're going to get to keep him because he's got a bum elbow. So he gets a stay of execution because of an injury. But the more I thought about it, it, it what, other than money, and you, you heard what Billy Epler said, if you were listening. And, and by the way, you need to just say Steve Cohen. He said Alex Cohen. Steve's wife is heavily involved in this organization. She's right there at the table with Steve. Don't make any mistake about it. Billy Epler didn't throw her name in there for just kicks. I'll tell you that much right now. Other than money, which shouldn't concern you, Unless it affects their ability to improve the team. Steve Cohen's money has no bearing on you. He's not going to raise ticket prices any more than they're going to be. He's not going to lower ticket prices if he keeps Cano. Has no no bearing. You know, other than the the the, the, the nerds that like to uh you know look at value equation all the time, should have no bearing. So if, if money was your concern, throw that out. I thought Cano had something left. 
I thought a bat like that, which even at his age with the DH spot could potentially put the numbers that I threw out there that I thought that maybe JD and Dom could put together. I haven't seen that. I mean, I have more faith that JD will do it than Dom, but we'll see. Neither one of those guys, with the exception of a small sample size, Dom during the pandemic and JD in the second half of 2019 have been able to produce a full season of what maybe a 39-year-old Cano I thought could produce. But he's gone. And look, they offered it to him to go down to Syracuse. I think after being off a year, he probably needed more than four, four weeks of spring training. Yeah, the Caribbean ball, you're not playing against the same type of players. I, I got a little giddy over the winter seeing him hitting the Caribbean League. There was some guys, I saw one ball that probably would have been scooped up by big league outfield. You're not playing against big league talent. There's big league players in there, but maybe not big league talent. And maybe like spring training, they're working on stuff. So it was a nice primer, a nice warm-up, but he really needs to play every day, and he's not going to. Not for a team that has championship aspirations. So I'm not going to get into this whole thing about, hey, it's nice to have an owner. Like We knew who Steve Cohen was. He's proving every day that he's not all talk, he's action. We know that. What I'm here to say is, finally, after all these years, we're four years in, finally you're starting to see the media say, hmm, Jared Kelnick stinks. Now, I wish no ill on Jared Kelnick. I think Jared Kelnick had so much more media scrutiny than most top prospects because of the timing. The Will Ponds, the hate of the Mets, the hot click uh, nature of what the Mets were. And he would not have gotten that same attention if he was with another team that made the same type of deal. Fernando Tatis was traded. Trey Turner was traded. And you could make the same argument about those trades. And those guys are actually legitimately stars, especially Turner. I mean, Tatis Jr. too. I mean, Tatis Jr. was traded for James Shields. Not much of a difference. The Mets were at a time... Where, yes, they were trying to sell the team. They had a core of players, especially the pitchers like Syndergaard and Mats and DeGrom. They needed to leverage one more run out of those guys. And they thought they could get a bat like Cano that had something left that played in New York. The GM was his agent, knew him well. And here's the big part. They got a closer who may have been the best closer arguably in the game back coming off a 2018 season that got Cy Young votes. He was eighth in the Cy Young that had 57 saves and had four years of control. That's the part that everybody continues to not understand. Yes, they probably don't. Maybe I think they're able to get Kelnick for, uh, for Diaz straight up. That was the deal. I don't think there's a world where the Mariners turn that down, especially after reading about how much Jerry DePoto liked Kelnick. If they just called them up and said, let's do that deal, they would have done that deal. That's my opinion. I have no proof on that. The other part of the deal, which was Swarzak and Bruce for Cano, was the salary dump where they, they took their money and they gave the Mets money. In typical Will Pump fashion, they like extending debt out. It was a way for them to take some of the savings. Now, they botched it by getting Jed Lowry, but they were going to take some of the savings so that they could build around a competitive team with pitching. The team was built around pitching. But at this point, let's say Jared Kelnick becomes what he, I always thought he was, probably Michael Conforto. You get Edwin Diaz, and you and, and, and Edwin Diaz pitches you deep into the postseason, even if it's only for one year and he leaves after this year. To me, that's worth it. And honestly, it's worth it for the last four years because closers and the way the game is now, the old adage where, well, anybody could close, well, maybe that's true, but 
nobody's going seven innings anymore. Nobody's going nine innings, seven innings and nine innings, all that stuff. You need you need to address seven, eight, nine. They're important innings. This Mets season, as much as you have Scherzer and you have Bassett and you have DeGrom potentially, this Mets season will be decided in the final nine outs of each game. That's when it's be decided. And maybe Scherzer will be in some of those outs and maybe Bassett will be in some of those outs. I doubt DeGrom will. Carrasco already has been. He's been probably the biggest surprise. I doubt Taiwan Walker will. I doubt Tyler McGill will. It's going to be the the bullpen. So to say that you can't, that, 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 that it's a bad trade, that was the trade, Kelnick for Diaz. Now, if you don't think Diaz is as good, and you and certainly he didn't, he, he was the reason why they didn't make the playoffs in 2019. He single-handedly was the reason. He just, whatever happened there. Now he's working backwards. Hefner's working, he's working his slider off. His release point is consistent. He's a different pitcher. Maybe they figured something out. Start with the slider, make the fastball work off the slider instead of vice versa. Maybe they figured something out. And is he going to give up gopher balls? Yeah, he's going to hang a slider and a lefty's going to take him like what happened in Arizona with Varsha. It's going to happen. But don't you have to go back. Go, go to the back of the baseball card, which is now baseball reference, and look, he was an elite closer in 2018 with control. That is worth a top prospect. And I think a couple of you guys tweeted at me, the Phillies who wound up getting John, uh, uh, Segura in the deal and gave up a top prospect for him. Was it J.P. Crawford, who's doing pretty well? Uh, they were in on Diaz, too. So the Mets had some competition. So I don't know where this whole thing about the Cano trade, it, it's not a good trade because they didn't get what they want, but I still would have traded. Would I have liked to give up someone other than Kalnick for Diaz? Sure. I don't think he'd get away with it. Would they have taken Jimenez for Diaz? Probably not. Probably not. And now you're hearing everybody about Pete Crow Armstrong and Bias. You were in first place. You needed offense. You had uh, Lindor's buddy that wound up having a damn good eight weeks in New York. For a guy that had seven minor league at-bats, had some talent, I mean, what are you worried about? Go draft other prospects. But if Kelnick was going to be Michael Conforto, by the way, they got Brandon Nimmo, who's established. I would have signed Conforto at the beginning of last year to a to whatever they offered, the $100, $125 million deal. And well, honestly, Conforto's replicatable. It's not Ken Griffey Jr. I'm sorry. So when this is all said and done, is it a good deal? Well, the Cano part may have hamstrung them with the Wilpon uh, last couple of years. But unless Diaz makes a bad turn this year, uh, Jared Kelnick for Diaz, if the Mets get deep into the postseason, and if they sign him to an extension, and he's 28, and they sign him for maybe four years and get him for his prime, into his uh, you know late, not early prime, you know he's, he's basically in his prime now, and he's an elite closer with this newfound way of pitching, then yeah, Jared Kelnick's worth it because that's when the game's decided in the ninth inning. And you'll see the kid come, and maybe he'll hit a home run next weekend, and maybe he'll have a big series. Come on. And by the way, I keep hearing, well, yes, he lost a year of development, no doubt. And I we've talked about that because of the pandemic. But look at other players ages 22 to 23, and look at how bad Kelnick is. Guys like Conforto, Reyes, right? Those are stars. 
That's what you don't want to trade for a cl- even a closer of Diaz's elk. Those are not the guys you want to put in a Cano salary dump. You're all focused on the wrong thing because you hated the Wilpons and you hated Brody because he was a slick-sounding agent. But at that time, before they knew they could get that team sold, before Cohen could get approved, that was the Mets' best shot of winning. Unless you wanted to bottom it out and rebuild, that was not an option in this town with this fan base. It would have destroyed the brand. It would have been another endless rebuild, just like what we talked about the last segment. I'm not having this conversation again with you guys. I'm done with Cano. I thought maybe they could sneak in one good year out of him as a DH, and it didn't happen. And he needed what he needs. You know, I saw the videos today. He's working out. He needs reps. Personally, he probably should have went down to Syracuse, but you know, maybe that's not the place he wants to get the reps. He could do it on his own in wherever he's doing it. Probably back home in the Dominican. I think that's where he's from, Dominican Republic. Um, that's it. And you want to cry about Kelnick all weekend? Watch Kelnick has a big series this coming week, and I'm going to hear about it all over and over. But I think the the media will lose a little bit of that because Diaz is good, and he's having a good year, and the Mets are good, and now they have Buck, and and a lot of that stuff is in the past because they've been impressed with Billy Epler, they've been impressed with Steve Cohen and his wife, they've been impressed with Buck. I mean, you got to love Buck. I mean, Buck's no nonsense with these guys. So that's it. It was Kelnick for Diaz, and I'll stand by that trade right now because I think Diaz is pretty good. It makes me a little nervous. I think there was some development that had to happen, and he's got a really good pitching coach that I think has helped him. And he was young. He was 24 when he came here. 25. Sometimes it takes guys time to figure out who they are. And if he's figured it out as he gets deeper and deeper and deeper into his career arc, Man, you may be getting, and if you could resign him, you may be getting the best of Diaz. You may be getting, next to Josh Hader, the best closer that's out there. You may be getting your version of Roldis Chapman. And nobody, the, the problem in this town, and I'll leave you with this on this segment, the problem in this town is that the, that the award of best closer, the guy that is named after it, Mar- Mariano Rivera, played across town, and no one's ever going to be him. A one-pitch pitcher basically dominated for 17 years. 18 years, however long he dominated. You never could get him. And you never could get him in a big spot. A couple of guys got him. Olimar Jr. got him one time. Uh, Luis Gonzalez got him one time, but that's it. That's it. And that's why anyone else comes is always going to be second. Anyone else comes is always going to be second. I used to say, I don't know if Diaz could be the guy on the mound in the ninth, but this version of Diaz... This guy that's starting to learn to, to work off his slider as the main pitch and then his fastball secondary. I mean, how can you gear up for his fastball when you don't know what if, if that slider's coming? Slider, 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 slider. And if his arm angle, his slot is right there, you don't know. I mean, that's that's where the tipping comes from. You don't know. It's a scare, it's scary for a hitter, and it's a beautiful thing for Mets fans to think about. So that's my last thoughts on the Cano deal. I think it was a good move to get rid of Cano. I think they they thought about it. I think they realized. And the more I thought about it, I was like, let's give him another month. But then if you weren't going to play him, even if you're going to bat him ninth, and I guess that was probably asking too much, he wasn't hitting anything on the pull side with authority. His bat was slow. And maybe that's why he had to take steroids. Maybe that was why he did it. This team is at a point where I think from a PR standpoint, from a standpoint of win now and I, and I'm sure you heard John Harper on the segment coming in I mean Lindor didn't want him to go that might be some PR 
I'm sure they were able to handle because Buck Showalter can handle these conversations. Any kind of ill will uh, about Cano by offering for him to go down to Syracuse, I think lessens the blow because then it's his choice. It's like, hey, we want you around for this. We think you might have something left. You need reps. Go down to Syracuse. That's brilliant because then the players can't say, wow, you treated this guy who could potentially probably won't be a Hall of Famer, potentially was on a Hall of Fame track. You kicked him out to the curb. He said, hey, Robinson, you're not going to get everyday uh, reps here. Go down to Syracuse. Give it a month. We'll decide June 1st. He said, no, and that's it. You're done. All right, let's take a quick break and wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. We love talking about the next generation of Mets players on the Talking Mets podcast. One that excites all of us is top prospect Francisco Alvarez. Keith Rad, broadcaster for the Brooklyn Cyclones, shared his experience covering the future Mets catcher and a special moment that should excite us all. It's, it's pretty dumb crazy the type of attention this kid gets when he's just taking swings at 5 o'clock in the afternoon every single day. We had our biggest wow moment of the year, like you said, how deep our ballpark is. But our batter's eye is, again, 412 feet uh, away, and he hit it to the right of the batter's eye, like dead center. I've, I've never seen that before. I mean, we've had uh, rehabbers, you know, Robbie Cano, Todd Frazier, recently... Uh, with us and they'll even in BP these guys have a tough time hitting it out and Alvarez hit one just to the right of the batter's eye so far a shot I'll I'll never forget listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com all right we're back final thoughts man the Dodgers are good they're up 5-1 on the Cubs I gotta tell you very interested to see the Mets play the Dodgers uh, head on, but early returns, Dodgers are everything the Mets are and better. And they're at that point in their their arc where they won they won that bogus. It's a but list the twenty twenty championship. I don't take seriously. I'm sorry, sorry Dodgers fans. I think I've said that before on the show. I don't take it seriously. And uh, I'm sure they're smarting a little bit about not winning last year. The Braves winning after being under five hundred most of the year. But you get to that point where everybody's kind of in that right prime or at that point in their careers where it's like, get it done or else Dodgers might be at that point and they're going to be really tough. And that's the benchmark where the Mets want to be. And right now, just from afar, it looks like the Dodgers are everything the Mets are, but better, but we'll see. It's a little too soon for that. Uh, and I didn't see like the Sunday night baseball five, one doesn't seem to be, you know, I know the Mets won 10, six, but they're playing the Phillies last week. The second Schwarber home run, just to go on the whole ball thing, one last thing, the second Schwarber home run I thought was a little bit of a of an old 2019-type home run. Because I do remember in 2019, some of even Pete Alonso's home runs, it like they almost took off at the end. It was almost like this jet stream. Maybe it was the climate. I don't know. Also, by the way, and I retweeted it at Mike Silva Media, did you guys see that weird interaction between the guy and the girl, the Phillies fans, during the game today? And I, I, I think Keith even held back, Keith Hernandez, who... Did anybody find out why Keith was out? I know he said a health issue. I hope it wasn't COVID. It doesn't sound like it was. It sounds like maybe, I know he had a hip replacement, whatever. But did you see that? I mean, that was classic. That guy, that Phillies fan, if he's married, he's sitting on a couch. If he's not married, he's probably going to get dumped. The very least, he's got a lot of explaining to do. She was pissed at him. How could you be so mad? What kind of conversation could they possibly have in the middle of a baseball game in the freezing cold on Mother's Day doubleheader? Maybe she was mad that he wasn't at her mother's house. I mean, geez, what bad weather. Unbelievable. So, look, fun week. Last time I came to you was the no-hitter. Fun series against the Braves. Some theatrics there. 
ultimate fun with the seven run, seven one, the six run comeback in the ninth, almost washes away that Washington game from a few years ago. That one still stings. I had that in the back of my head watching Lugo today. I still don't think Lugo's really right, one hundred percent right. There's still something about Lugo, but that's another story for another day. And you know what's to come up? You know, day off, go to D.C. Seattle comes to town. I'm not talking about Cano again. Uh, I think you guys know my position on Kelnick and Diaz. I'm sure it'll be a topic next week. I'll finally get to see Kelnick day in and day out. He'll probably have a big series, and I'm going to have to talk about him again next week. But I really don't want to talk about Cano anymore. I think it's done. It's over with. You guys got what you wanted. You guys got what you wanted with the Dom Smith deal, no deal. I didn't get what I wanted. We'll see who's right. Time for JD and Dom to put up. Time for Diaz to continue to put up. It's time for these guys. And this is a here's what you get excited about, where you're at. Two-thirds of the way in the getting-to-know-you phase of the 2022 Mets. This is a professional, methodical, detail-oriented team, just like their manager. And that's exactly... And then what I, The only thing I hope what's going on right now is as Buck is continuing to manage this team and, 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 and what you know, however long, I think he's got a four-year deal, there's somebody in the wings that is being trained to be the next Buck because this is the kind of guy the Mets need in their organization shaping their organization for years to come. This is the guy that should be team president down the road, not Sandy Alderson. That's all I'm going to say. I I just think Buck does an outstanding job. Everything I've wanted in a manager, those Pat Riley-isms, the way he interacts with the media, the way he handles players, I can't say enough. I've been thoroughly impressed. And uh, that doesn't mean they're going to win a championship, and that doesn't mean that they're not going to have, he's going to cover up every deficiency like the bullpen. Just means you feel good about who's at the helm. It's going to make it a lot easier to ward off some of the peripheral media nonsense. You've had very little media nonsense, quite honestly. I mean, they were waiting. They were circling the wagon with Cano, and they didn't get what they wanted. So there you go. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Of course, I want to thank everybody in the audience. Happy Mother's Day. Hope all the moms had a great day. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can just show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your Mother's Day. Enjoy your week of baseball. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. American Giant makes the durable, comfortable spring closet staples you need for work, the gym, and even happy hour. Made in America. Designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20.